Are our kids getting the true history of Australia in school today? What's wrong with the way Australian history is taught at the moment is that First Nations people aren't part of the discussions. And we believe that First Nations people should be leading and highly engaged in teaching our authentic truth, history and perspectives. Today on Feed, Play, Love, we're celebrating the vast and rich history of our country and all the things the current curriculum is missing. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. When I was in Year 6 at primary school, it was 1988, the bicentennial year. The history that was celebrated and embedded in my tween brain was all about 200 years of colonisation. Imagine if we had a year that celebrated 60,000 years of continuous culture. And what would happen if we incorporated that history into the way we teach about this land that we live on? Dr. Scott Winch is a Senior Policy Advisor, First Nations at World Vision Australia and the co-chair of Know Your Country. Hi, Scott. How are you? Hello. I'm well. And um, yeah, I'll start with the acknowledgement, as we do. Yama, Yamanda, Marang Mujir, Yindamara, Gadigal, Nuumbul, Yindamara, Gadigal, Muriigang, Mendingu. So I just said, hello, my friends. I just acknowledge that I'm on Gadigal country and also acknowledge Gadigal elders and said thank you. And it's such a great place to start, actually, because I know that part of Know Your Country is teaching local language in primary schools. Why is that element so important? Yeah, so, um, you know, language really does uh, encapsulate culture and it, it encapsulates every, everything. It encapsulates our country, um, our people, uh, our histories, our law. And so through using language, we can really enrich our understanding of the longest continuing culture that we have in the world. Um, I learned Spanish when I was 17, 18. And when you learn another language, that's when you really understand that it is a doorway. There's things that you can't, that can't be expressed in your own native tongue. So I can imagine with our First Nations peoples having so many years of history and culture that that would be quite insightful. But it does strike me that it would be quite hard to learn. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I know a little bit of my traditional language, but not a lot. Um, it wasn't something that was taught to me. Um, and that was because of colonization, to be frank. Languages weren't allowed to be spoken. Um, and particularly when people were put, herded onto missions, culture and language was um, suppressed. So um, there's been some amazing work to revitalize um, our language, and, and I'm a Radri man, and that's my traditional language, and uh, Uncle Uncle Stan Grant has been a, a leader in that. So it's it's so powerful and so important, and they talk about when Indigenous languages die, so do ecosystems. So that knowledge, that intimate knowledge of country is formed through through language as well and expressed through language. Um, so it's it's extremely vital, and, and we've done surveys on this as well. We, we've done a children's voice survey last year, we wanted to hear from children. We wanted to amplify the voices of children, what they thought was important for them. One of the questions was around language. And we asked, out of all the languages that you're taught and First Nations languages, which one would you prefer? And number one was First Nations languages. So there's a real thirst for it out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's really important. Yeah. 
I'll get to um, know your country and, and what your objective is, <clears throat> but I think it's interesting to note, and maybe we can put a pin in this, that it's what children want, you know, and how much change starts from what our children learn and what they embrace. So we'll go come back to that, but let's let's go to the very beginning. What is the ultimate objective of Know Your Country? Yeah, so the, the, the ultimate um, ask of our campaign underpinned by a, a robust policy, and that's that's something I drove in consultation um, across the sector, and, you know, it's very much First Nations informed and led. And so our ask is that we have a First Nations cultural and language educator at every primary school across the country. Now, they're not. that's not a new role. They exist in different schools across the country, and these roles are amazing. They're so valuable to schools. And the schools that have these roles, they really do talk about the benefits for all kids, not just First Nations kids, for all children as well. So that's what we want to see across every primary school in the, in the nation. Okay. And where are we at now that we've changed governments? Yeah, so um, I guess there is the baseline of these roles already existing, some in the, in the public school where there's typically higher cohorts of First Nations uh, students but also in the private school sector, and there's been some amazing leadership in that space as well. They've just taken it on their own to employ First Nations educators in, in their schools. And we worked, uh, since we launched the, the, the campaign pretty much 12 months ago um, this month, um, yeah, so we worked closely with the with the Labor government um, leading up to the election. Both sides, I mean, we're, we're apolitical, we don't have any favouritism, but the ALP was much more engaged in, in what we were trying to achieve. Um, and so working with Graham Perrett, the former Shadow Assistant Education Minister, that led to uh, the ALP announcing a $14 million commitment to First Nations uh, language and cultural educators in the election period. So that's something we're now uh, looking to hold the government to account. How much of that funding do you need to find people to come into schools? Because as you mentioned there, that um, there's already educators in areas where there's lots of children, perhaps, that are First Nations children. But it it strikes me as a white middle-class woman that I live in areas where there aren't or have been to schools and my kids go to a school where we never even see a First Nations person, which seems to be a huge problem when it comes to reconciliation and understanding about all of the things, but particularly history. So what do you do in those spaces, particularly when, if you look at the effect of colonialisation, that unfortunately in some areas it worked, right? In some areas it really did decimate that cultural heritage and the knowledge of that land. Yeah, unfortunately that's the truth. So there's huge gaps. There's, you know, there's big gaps in um, our languages thriving. This is actually the Decade of Indigenous Languages, the International Decade of, in- of Indigenous Languages. So UNESCO has um, celebrates that. Um, and so it's it's important internationally that we recognise that, but nationally that we strive to revive that as well. And there's a lot of work going on. And as I spoke about Uncle Stan Grant um, in, and the Wiradjuri language, that's, that's happening in, in other spaces as well. The New South Wales AECG, who's one of our partners on Know Your Country, our, one of our allies, They've done some amazing work over the years in terms of um, language in, in schools, but there's there's gaps and that's the reality of it. So it's it's about building capacity in communities as well. And, and there's, 
There's also closing the gap targets around this too. So there's closing the gap targets around language revival. So it, it really does work hand in hand with sort of the policy imperatives in different spaces as well. So there's, there's work that's, that's to, to be done, but that, that'll come. That'll come in time. Now I'm going to take go back to where I put that pin in, what children embrace and the kind of change they can make. I was reflecting on that, you know, my experience at Year 6 Primary School where we all got dressed up with our mop hats and our colonial dress was all very exciting. But as we know that that was 200 years of colonialization and it, it kind of is a really stark reminder of the kind of education that most Australian adults have had about Australian history. And even as an adult who's seeking knowledge, the kinds of things that I learn about tend to be more about the dispossession, the tragedies and the massacres and all of the things that are very important to learn. But I feel like along the way, what I'm really missing is the incredible knowledge of country, of tradition, of culture, of kinship, so so much stuff that I can imagine a lot of children embracing. So I'm wondering, I mean, I'm hoping that our schools are closer to teaching that history that I just mentioned and have moved away from what I learned many decades ago, let's face it, a while now. What is your perspective on the kind of change that has happened in the curriculum over that period of time? Yeah, so there's definitely been curriculum changes. There's been a lot of advancements in ACARA, which is the national curriculum body that drives Australian curriculum. They've got a First Nations advisory group who've kind of driven this change. Marsha Langton, Professor Marsha Langton, has, she worked on the content um, of the national cross-curriculum priority. So there's a cross-curriculum priority for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander knowledges. And so it, it exists, it exists. And there's been improvements. The problem is, though, is that teachers aren't equipped. They aren't trained to be able to deliver on this authentically. They don't feel confident. They don't want to be disrespectful. So they're not doing it. That's basically what's happening. And it's a cross-curriculum priority. So it's not really, you know, it kind of sits across things and it's kind of, you can do it here and there if you, if you can. So it's not really engaged to the level that needs to be. And going back to children and, and, the, and the children's voice survey that we did, over 70% of the respondents said they want more First Nations curriculum. But when they actually receive it directly from a First Nations, when they've got a cultural educator in the classroom in some of these schools, there's over 90% of these children want more. They really have a thirst for it. So it's, it's so important that our traditional knowledges are taught in schools by our you know, local custodians as well. So there's been some really good frameworks that exist. There's also the teacher standard frameworks, so ATSL are the driving body of that, um, where teachers are meant to be capable of working with First Nations children, but also capable of teaching it. It's easy to tick a box sometimes just to get your accreditation, but to truly connect with local knowledges, and this is, this is another thing as well. So you've got this being taught as now a mandatory subject at, at university. That's great. That's a starting point, but it's very generic. And there's like 250 different language groups, 250 different mob across this country. It's diverse. There's, you know, you can't just say what happens here happens over here. It needs to be so localized and it's tricky. That's why we need to really engage with First Nations communities. And so that's the real gap that's existing at the moment. That's what we're trying to advocate for, to to proper resource the education system, to enrich it. 
for our kids to truly be able to learn, learn about where they kind of, you know, they live and they play and they go to school, they, they can really have a deeper connection to that. And there are future custodians of country as well. Like all, all Australian children have a responsibility of this land. And so this will help them be better custodians. They're also our future leaders. They're all the, the ones who are going to be our future police officers, nurses, doctors, lawyers, and so forth. And so for them to be able to be more culturally aware and culturally safe in how they work with our mob as well, that's extremely important too. So there's some starting points, but there's still a long way to go. And part of that story, is it also about cultural respect? Because I feel that my generation weren't really taught just how sophisticated First Nations culture is and the history of how long that was. You know, it seems like you could go overseas to Europe and someone would be fascinated with, oh, you've got this incredible culture, blah, blah, blah. What? What? Because we we weren't shown that. So, and I, I wonder if that has had an impact into the way non-First Nations people interact as adults today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, it's been categorised as a prehistoric culture and, you know, in a, in a kind of very negative way. And, you know, there's, there's you know, we can draw more statistics and, and look at a recent study that, that shows that 75% of Australians have an unconscious bias towards uh, negative bias towards First Nations people. So what they learn growing up and through the media and through, you know, society brings them to have a negative uh, outlook. There's been a bit of, you know, a shift in understanding, you know, through climate change, that's that's been a major driver going, wait, wait a minute, you know, what was done here for thousands of years, that, that's worked. We need to really step back. The fire management stuff, the caring for country stuff, our waterways, our oceans, it's all vital for, for us as a nation to, to know this stuff. It's not something that's, you know, can be put at the side and just kind of considered as a archaeological remnant of this, this nation. It's not. It's living. Our culture is living and it's thriving and, it's, and it's, it has a really important role to contribute to, to the future of this nation. So, yeah, I, I think that with our kids learning this, they'll be, they'll, they'll be much more knowledgeable. They'll have be much more respectful. And so, and this is an important thing about having cultural educators in the classroom it builds relationships, that builds that one-on-one relationship with First Nations people. There's no substitute for that. There's no kind of, a, a, you know, non-Indigenous people speaking to non-Indigenous children and telling them this is what you should be doing. That that's, it has its place, but it doesn't replace those real strong interpersonal relationships that children can really grow and develop with First Nations people. Mm, and I think there's probably... A lot of awkwardness, like you mentioned, teachers saying they don't want to be disrespectful when they're not First Nations, and also um, just people generally who have no interaction with culture. So when you put them in front of a person and it's about that relationship, then hopefully that awkward divide will crumble. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean... In, in a previous life, I was an academic and um, I was responsible for, for teaching medical students. And part of what I did, and, you, you know, you do some lectures and that's that's all well and good to give a bit of background, but I got them out into community and just working in a non-medical way, just working with, with our mob. And I did some, you know, some baseline and then some follow-up studies later on. And there's a real improvement, not just awareness, not just about knowledge, but also the capability about how people think, how, how people 
have more safety when they work with our mob. So it's that kind of, that takes away that negative bias. It, it builds a real positive relationship with our, with our people. And, and it really is a strong uh, contributor to reconciliation. Now, I did want to, um, with this conversation, talk about all the amazing things that we can learn from the very long history of this country. But it, you can't have all the good without covering off on the injustices that have also happened. And I know that that's not really what the Know Your Country campaign is about. It's about teaching local knowledge and celebrating knowledge. But when it comes to education for children, how important is accepting and teaching the true history of what happened to First Nations people when Australia was colonised? Oh, absolutely vital. Yeah, it's so important. Um, I guess Know Your Country is really looking at the strengths of it, or what we can provide, our knowledges, and it really is a scaffolded education approach. So, you know, in kindergarten, you're really not going to go into things around stolen generation. It could be traumatising for young children. There's a time and a place for it. So building those relationships, that appreciation of our culture uh, is a good starting point. It's a foundation. And, and you know, there is in, in the curriculum framework from about year five, fifth, fifth class onwards, there's some opportunities to t teach around truth telling, but it probably has a stronger place in high school where children are a bit more prepared and be uh, stronger critical thinkers about it as well. Yeah. So it's it's absolutely vital and it's it's important because it's like our mob gets blamed for the situation which, you know, which was imposed on us in the first place. And it's it's important to understand the antecedents for our some of our disadvantage, our um, dysfunction. It's also important to understand that systemic racism still exists. Mm -hmm. Half the children in juvenile justice detention centres are Aboriginal, First Nations. That's, you know, and, and we make up about 6% of the population, like if for, for our under 15-year-olds. Under so huge over-representation. Mm. One in six of our First Nations children in New South Wales are being removed every year. And that's kind of looking at across the board. Some areas, that would be much higher. Some communities would be much higher. And they talk about the stolen generation, about a third of our children being removed. Some communities, that's probably still, probably similar levels. Yeah. So this still exists. And this is really important for, for everyone to learn about this, to understand that the reasons why we're in this situation and that this situation is being perpetuated by systems as well. So it's extremely important, but I think also that you need to, there's a time and a way to do it as well. And I think our people need to be part of those conversations too. And, you know, to be really leading on, on that change. So yeah, really important. So of course we're talking about education here and particularly in primary school and you have touched on this already, but I'm just wondering if you could articulate it again for us. Why is this kind of education so important as part of the reconciliation process? Yeah, so it, it's about, um, I suppose, the, the main thing is relationships, healing relationships. And that's, that's through truth-telling, but it's also through just interpersonal relationships and it's also about respect for our culture and also appreciation of the knowledges and our contributions that we can make to, to, to this nation as well. And so it's not good enough to kind of go, okay, we'll help you out, mob out over there and you go off, do your stuff over there. What I believe is is that our ways should be embedded in the psyche of this nation, 
our ways of being, doing, and knowing, which have existed for thousands of years, can benefit this nation. Caring for country, being more egalitarian as a nation, caring for each other is in a community kind of sense. So these are real strong values that this nation can really embed. And so it's, yeah, reconciliation isn't about just kind of, yeah, you poor blackfellas over there, um, let's, let's help you. It's about actually understanding as a nation that there's knowledge gaps that we have, or not, the nation has, that they really need to, to build on and closing the gap. Like closing the gap is a, a real owner. <laughs> it's onerous on our mob. You need to fix yourselves. Let's, sure, there's some problems that we need to address, but us as a nation, <laughs> we need to heal ourselves as well and fix ourselves as well. So that's where the true reconciliation will come when we, we have our people building relationships from an early age and sharing our knowledges from an early age. Mm. I have so much faith that education can achieve that kind of change, more faith than um, I have in media being able to change it. So I really hope that people can get behind this campaign. So, so what can people do? If they're listening to this, they go, want this in my school, want to spread it around the country, how can they get involved? Yeah, so um, we've got a, a website that's a starting point, knowyourcountry.com.au. And so that, that, that kind of is a platform for you to understand the policy. It's to understand who our allies are, that we, you know, we're First Nations uh, led in terms of we've got a, a First Nations advisory panel with strong um, membership there. We've got allies across the sector as well. We've got social media as well. Um, and there's, that's growing sort of, you know, exponentially on a daily basis. So, you know, probably about 13,000 social media followers, which has been pretty good for 12 months. And so through that, we can just keep um, providing information about um, where we're heading with the campaign. Um, There's opportunities to, uh, through our website, to sign a petition for individuals, uh, for schools and for teachers. We have over 1,000 teachers have signed up, um, over about 100 schools as well, and about 10,000 individuals have signed our petition as well. So that's an opportunity. And you can also, through there, we've got a sort of a portal to uh, email your local member of parliament as well. So, uh, yeah, you can, you can be champions for it too. Things you can do. Brilliant. Well, Scott, thank you so much for your time today. Mandingu. Uh, that's Dr. Scott Winch. He's a co-chair of Know Your Country. And we'll put links in the notes of this episode and you can find out more at their website. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love. If you did, please rate, review or favourite. That way you'll get all the new episodes, plus we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, email me at feedplaylove at listener.com. Bye for now.